we were told that uh, don't mingle with the East German sailors because they will try to, to hire you over to their place, work as spies or whatever you have. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Karl Heinz served in the Bundesmarine, the West German Navy, as a signaller. In the late 1970s, he was posted to the destroyer Hamburg. He talks of his training, his role, and shares details of manoeuvres in the North Sea and the Baltic Sea involving East German and Soviet ships. He also speaks about a cruise to West Africa where the sailors were briefed to stay away from any East German merchant marine sailors and not to engage with them in any form. He and his friends didn't keep to the rules. If you've listened this far, I know that you are enjoying the podcast, so I'm asking for one-off or monthly donations to support my work and enable me to continue producing the podcast. If you become a monthly supporter via Patreon, you will get the sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster as a thank you, as well as audio and other extras. In addition, you will bask in the warm glow of knowing that you are helping to preserve Cold War history. Still not sure? He's one of our financial supporters. I'm Tim from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I support the Cold War Conversations podcast financially because of the great research and the quality of the storytelling. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If a financial contribution is not your cup of tea, then you can still help us by leaving written reviews wherever you listen to us, as well as sharing us on social media. It really helps us get new guests on the show. And you can meet up with other listeners by visiting our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for Cold War Conversations. I'm delighted to welcome Carl Heinz to our Cold War Conversation. Well, I was, I'm originally from Hamburg, Germany, and was born there many years ago, actually in 1959. Um, if you might wonder about my last name, Rositzka, which is obviously not German, but it's because my grandfather was from Budapest, Hungary. But he migrated to Hamburg uh, before the First World War and married a nice Ham- lady from Hamburg, which happened to be my grandmother, of course. Who else was in your, your family in Hamburg? Well, it was actually my mother, my mom and my dad and my sister. What did your mother and father do? Um, My father was uh, working at the local uh, food market in Hamburg and my mom was running the household. How did you end up in the the West German Navy? Well, um, you know, in those days uh, when I joined the Navy at the 1977, 78, uh, there was still a mandatory military service. Yeah, so you have to join the armed forces, yes or yes, unless you, I don't know, you're missing a leg or whatever, you know. <laughs> so um, I already had a number of uh, friends and, and co-workers uh, who, who were at the armed forces, and uh, most of them actually were in the Navy, and they said, you know, when you, you volunteer, whatever you want to do, uh, join the Navy because, simple reason, if you don't uh, 
mark on your, on your paperwork if you want to join the Navy or the Air Force, uh, they immediately put you into the infantry. And of course, you can imagine it's not very nice in Germany in January or February with 20 de uh, degrees below zero to uh, be living in a tent somewhere in the field. Yeah, so at least in the Navy or Air Force, you always had a warm bed and a good meal. So that was one of the main reasons why I joined the Navy. And again, because it was still military uh, military service, I said I have to, I'll be called anyway because I was an excellent shape big man. And I uh, volunteered to join the Navy. So when you do that in the process back then, you still have to do an additional test uh, to see if you actually would fit into the Navy or into the Air Force. And that what I did and was accepted then in the Navy. What sort of test did they have to to tell whether you were suited to either? Uh, they did some uh, additionally, if I remember correctly, security background checks. They did some psychological checks, uh, fitness tests and stuff like that. Did you have a choice of what sort of role you did or did they work out where you'd best be suited? No, they work out, you give whatever your profession is. And again, I'm, I'm afraid for water. So they put your, they actually, depending also on the, on the results of the test, they put you up into certain uh, areas in the Navy. Yeah, you cannot tell them, I want to join the artillery or I want to do this, I want to do that. So what, what sort of role did you end up in? Yeah, I ended up in communications uh, as a signalman. So that's uh, like a radio operator? Uh, well, it's the local, it's actually three jobs that the signalman back then had to fulfill. One is a radio operator, so ship from communication from ship to ship uh, by radio or flashlight or flag signals. Oh, right. Real old style semaphore. Yeah. So what what ship were you posted to? Well, first I had to go to the communication schools in, uh, to, to learn about uh, the signals, the codes and the flags and the more signals and all that stuff. So first they sent me up to Eckernförde, which is a signal school for three months. Uh, and it's actually the communication school where you have uh, the signal staff, the uh, communication staff, and as well as we called them a spy group. Uh, that was kind of an interesting group we found back then. They were very isolated from the rest of the, of the, of the students. Uh, and they consisted mainly of former East Europeans of German background. Yeah, let's say there's some guy who was born in Poland and he speaks Polish and his family migrated to West Germany. So they had those guys over there. And there were some kind of special group who later ended up listening on ships which were positioned right in front of Russia or Poland, was the Soviet Union rather than back then. And the ship would be anchored there in international waters for one month, for example. And they would just listen to the communications of the Soviet Navy or Soviet Army or whatever. So this group never mingled with us, the normal regular sailors, which we found very interesting. But anyway, what I had to do, of course, in the first three months, uh, we had, uh, besides communication skills trainings, we had uh, also some kind of military training, like shooting and, and, and marches, et cetera, et cetera. However, not to be confirmed, to be uh, um, you cannot, uh, it was kind of a very light military training, let's put it this way. I only had a gun in my hand twice or three times for shooting purposes. Uh, 
uh, when we had marches, 20 kilometers marches or whatever, we did it with our, our backpack yeah, and without our helmets. Right. Yeah, so it was very light military service. Yeah, the other time it was only schooling or sports, yeah, like, like football or whatever you have. Yeah, so once that was over, the first three months, we were sent to additional uh, uh, training to the Femmelde Schule, which is the second uh, uh, communication school, which is in Flensburg. It's a Danish border where we completed our training and actually had only schooling for three months. There was nothing else. There was no marches, no military training, nothing like that. Just flashlights reading, Morse lamps reading, signal uh, flags, uh, learning the signal book, uh, which were all the different codes, classified materials. And uh, the interesting part of this uh, classified signal book was that our teacher, who was an old uh, Navy veteran, um, a petty officer, and he said, listen, guys, this book is supposed to be extremely secret and nobody can see it, only authorized personnel, but for sure, I know you can buy this book in a Moscow library. Uh, so <laughs> it was known that this book actually, which is a NATO book, of course, uh, is openly known by the, by the Soviets or by the, by, the, by, by the Warsaw Pact. So the Warsaw Pact could read the signals then? Yeah, in theory, they could not, but again, and I'm sure that our guys, the group I mentioned earlier, could also read uh, and understand the, the martial fact signals. It, it sounds like you chose absolutely the uh, the right arm of the services to uh, serve in with that training. It doesn't sound uh, too strenuous. From the military side, it was very, very light back then. Yeah? And it just a uh, lot of schooling learning stuff like that and what what was the role of the the west german navy in the event of war well the west german navy was actually uh which the main ports back then of course were in kiel and it's a baltic and as well as flensburg and Olpenitz, where you had the petrol boats the smaller ships smaller boats and then Wilhelmshaven, where you also had a squad of uh, destroyers and uh, frigates so the purpose of the german navy was actually uh, in case of any war or whatever, to protect the access to the Baltic and North Sea. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Uh, so there was no considering of any battles in the Atlantic or whatever you have, yeah, just to access or take care of the accesses of the Baltic and the North Sea. And presumably that was in collaboration with like the Danish Navy yeah, the and Danish Norwegian. And the Norwegians, the British, yeah, the Dutch. And at the end of that training, is that when you were sent to a ship? Yeah, the end of the training, uh, depending on your grades, they sent you to the different ships. Uh, my 
the head teacher even considered me for the God Fog, but uh, somebody in our group had better political uh, connections, and he ended up with the God Fog, and not me. So he sent me to the, in his opinion, second best choice of what was available. And uh, that was the Destroyer Hamburg, which made me very proud because I'm from Hamburg. So serving on the Destroyer Hamburg was very nice. And uh, the reason was that not only because it's a destroyer or whatever, uh, because the uh, Hamburg was scheduled to leave in February for a three-month trip to West Africa. So, and that, of course, interested me quite a lot since I always enjoyed uh, traveling and uh, visiting other countries, uh, learning about other cultures and so on. I uh, was very happy about that assignation. Yeah, no, I can I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> um, a, a little while back, you, you mentioned that there was sort of checking of political affiliations yeah. of people serving in the West German Navy. Yes. What Did they actively exclude people then that had left-wing yes, political actively, credentials? Actively. Again, in my group of friends, we had some very left-wing friends, which were nice people and nice buddies and so on, but they were not taken into consideration or sent into the infantry. Uh, what we found out on our training courses that some of them uh, slipped through the through the through the grades, so to speak, and ended up in the same group as we were at the at the communication school, the signal school. Yeah, uh, they used to be for a couple of guys that were members of the socialist uh, German students group, which was extremely left wing. Yeah, and uh, the only ones they joined, and they were already already starting all the processes and whatever you did. Uh, they found out about that. So those people were later excluded. They sent them away, sent them to other duties. Yeah. Right. So they ended up no any specific uh, navy, maybe navy uh, to the marines or something like that. Yeah, navy infantry, something like that, yeah, where they don't or, or fixing trucks. Yeah. So stuff, yeah. stuff like that. So or working in the do, kitchens or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So back back to the the Hamburg. What what was the purpose of the of the trip to West Africa? Because that's way outside of your normal operational area. Right, exactly. Um, actually, the idea was behind it. Uh, again, we left in February. Uh, this was this heavy winter, and all had snow all over the place, and, and trains were not running, and so on. And uh, we left in February, and actually, the group was. A group of five ships. There were three destroyers: uh, the Hamburg, the sister ship, the Bayern, Set um, Four, which was an old American Fletcher class destroyer, still operating. The German Navy still had four of those in those days, and uh, two supply ships: one tanker and one supply ship for for food and, and beverages and so on. So we left then uh, Germany, and first we went to France to Brest. And uh, before we went to Africa, we had some uh, missile shootings planned in the Mediterranean, in Toulon, uh, together with uh, American ships and uh, French ships. So we had to go to Toulon first and did all the practicing for, for firing our missiles and, and stuff like that. Exercises with American aircraft carriers, which was kind of funny, too, because our radar personnel at night, they picked up uh, supposedly an American aircraft carrier and said, oh, the airplanes are starting and on the on the flight deck and so on. And it turned out that it was a container ship. So our radar guys picked up containers as airplanes on an aircraft carrier. So <laughs> that was very interesting. 
So it needed a little bit more training then. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> In West Africa, which ports did you call at? When we left too long, again, there was an all military, again, we had these exercises, what I mentioned and so on, and then there was some military training. But when we left too long, there was all just a cruise. There was no military stuff involved, no military training, nothing like that. One reason was perhaps because of the temperatures. It's tropical. You, know, you have about, I don't know, 38 degrees, uh, 99% humidity, and our ships, they didn't have air conditioning in those days. So inside the ship, it was, you couldn't sleep, basically. You, you just lay down and you're, uh, and then you're sweating yeah, because there's no air conditioning, especially when you were on port. Yeah, because actually when you're at sea, uh, at least one third of the group is always on watch, but in the port, not everybody is in the, in the quarters. No? So, but no, we went uh, from uh, Toulon, we went to, to uh, the Capverde Islands. Then from the Capverde Islands, we went uh, down to Abidjan at the Ivory Coast. From there, we passed the equator uh, just for the uh, visit of Neptune and all the great party we had uh, in that in that, in that event. Uh, then we went to Lome in Togo. From there, we went to uh, Cameroon. Then uh, to Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, Tema in Ghana. Uh, Monrovia in Liberia. And Dakar in Senegal. And then back home. Quite a tour. Yeah. How, how long did that take overall? Uh, three months. Wow. They asked for the purpose. The purpose was mainly representing uh, West Germany. And this was in the late 1970s. Right. And and when you called at some of these ports, were there any Warsaw Pact ships in, in these ports? Yes. Um, in, at some point, of course, merchant ships. There was no uh, any, we didn't see any Navy ships, but uh, merchant ships. It could be Polish or Soviet or Eastern Germans. Yeah. And in some cases, we had some encounters with, with some of the, of the crews, uh, especially of the East Germans. And, uh, you know, that uh, Cameroon, for example, and Togo, they used to be uh, German colonies uh, before the First World War. And, uh, for example, in, in, in Lome, Togo, they still had a German, uh, what they call Sailor's Home, Seemannsheim in German. Yeah, so, of course, we went over there, we had to wear uniform, uh, and because they had a pool, a nice bar, and stuff like that. And before we went over there, and, of course, uh, there was this East German ship in port, we were told that uh, don't mingle with the East German sailors because they will be also at this uh, 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 Seemannsheim. So uh, because they will try to, to hire you over to their place, work as spies or whatever you have. So we still went there, of course. And of course, the East German sailors were also there, the merchant sailors. And uh, sooner or later, of course, we ended up uh, talking to each other. And... Uh, they were told also from their side, from their officers, not to mingle with us because we could be perhaps uh, uh, convince them to, to come over to our side, to, to leave their ships and stay in Togo or to join us and be bring into the next port or the West German embassy or whatever you have. And so it was quite interesting that we were told one thing and they were told the same thing only from their group, the reverse. Yeah, so And nobody actually had any intentions to do that. Neither did we have an intention to hire them for us or did they have an intention to hire them, hire us for them. So after that was cleared out, of course, uh, we were joining together, we were drinking beer together and having a good time. 
And what, what did you talk about with them? Well, we talked uh, about little politics because, again, most of those uh, uh, sailors, they had also background checks, of course. Uh, usually when you were East German and you, want, you were traveling uh, uh, to the West, either on a ship or on a truck or whatever you have, um, most of the times you, your family at least uh, had to stay in, West, in East Germany. Uh, so it would make you very difficult to escape. Yeah, because your kids or your wife or whatever would stay behind and would not be able to leave his German. So that was one of the main reasons. And again, some of them, and later in my later life, when I, again I used to work in shipping, uh, I also had an ex-boss who was actually from East Germany back then. Yeah? And he, he became my boss later on. Yeah, And uh, he used to live in North Korea and other places. Yeah? So, uh, but again, some of them might have been very political from the left wing and others just said, listen, I'm a sailor. That's it. You know, I like sailing. I got the opportunity to do that, which uh, allows me also to visit other countries. Yeah, so just a regular person, let's put it this way. That's really interesting because I think a lot of people might not imagine that there were merchant ships all over the world, yeah, particularly, yeah. you know, from, from East Germany. It must have been quite a privilege to serve on those ships because, you know, they would have access well, I presume they wouldn't have had much money to spend, um, <laughs> but you know they 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 would be seeing how different the world was to uh, their life in East Germany. Yeah. Did you talk about things like football and stuff like that with them? Yes, we did talk about football, and uh, you know that I'm a, or at least I used to be a big football fan, a big Hamburg HSV fan. Not anymore, but it's a different story. Yeah, and of course we talked about football. Of course, yeah. You, you finish the um, the the tour, the the African tour, and the the ship comes back to where? Where was its home base? Was it uh, Wilhelmshaven? Wilhelmshaven. Okay. Yeah, but just another maybe, if I can, a short anecdote about uh, Togo. Nothing to do with the Cold War, but you know, as I mentioned before, Togo used to be a German colony, and uh, we had to wear uniform. And of course, I mentioned we also were five a group of five ships. But what we sailors uh, uh, agreed on of all the ships that we would not salute uh, the officers of other ships when we meet them in the street. We would only salute our the officers from our own ship, and that what we did. And there was this old uh, uh, guy who used to be an askari in the German forces back in 1914, and he noticed that. So he went to our admiral and complained about the fact that the German sailors are not saluting their officers in the street in German. <laughs> so that was a kind of a nice anecdote. <laughs> right. So there, so there was still a, a reasonable number of Germans still living in, in these countries. Yeah, well, he, he was not, of, he, of course, he was not German. He, he was... Uh, Right, so the Askari was Africans served in the German in the German forces. Can you tell me about you know your maneuvers and exercises in the North Sea and the Baltic? Yeah, of course. Once we were back, of course, we were back to to the military drill and all that stuff. Uh, went also a week to the uh, uh, Kiel week, where you all had to uh, visiting navies from all over the world as flagship for the German navy. And of course, we also had this uh, uh, exercises, as I mentioned before, because our main role was to to, to protect the entrances uh, of the North Sea and the Baltic Seas. And uh, this in combination with the navies from Norway, for example, Great Britain or Denmark, Netherlands, and so on. 
And uh, of course, there were always some spy ships, Russians, Soviet or East German ships, observing our maneuvers. Again, we from the West did the same to them, of course, whenever they had a maneuver in the Baltics, for example. Yeah? But it was always interesting to see that uh, many of them were either smaller uh, warships or but they had uh, fishing boats, or at least there were supposed to be fishing boats, but you can... They were full of antennas for communications and pickup communications, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know immediately there was not a fishing boat; there was a spy boat. Yeah? So there were always besides us in the middle of our ships and then whatever you have. And again, there were also warships around. And uh, what we did and what they did, uh, we actually pointed guns at, at, at each other for practicing. And you didn't fire a shot, of course, but you practice firing a shot, yeah, or a missile or whatever. No? So that was kind of sometimes, you know, they're pulling the guns at us and we at them. And you know, that one was kind of uh, scary sometimes. Yeah, no, I can imagine. So w were these ships targeted with the radar as well, the targeting radar for the missiles? Or yes, yes, yes. So they, they, they could actually pick up that we would fire a missile on them as we could pick up on our radar that they retaliated with another missile for example that must have been yeah quite unnerving to uh yeah. to see that and could you hear particularly with the east germans could you hear their communications uh, perhaps our oh, again i couldn't hear that right yeah i know that uh, we're listening to ours whenever we had uh, radio communication from ship to ship uh, we had to change for example every day our call signs uh, three letters or two letters with a number or whatever And of course, if you have a group of, of, I don't know, 15 Navy vessels and every day you get a new code for each ship yeah, and you, oh, Jesus, which ship is which now? You know, because we're not supposed to keep it written down one way, one way or another. Yeah? Of course, you know from your own group, German ships, for example, by the accent, uh, this is this ship, for example, or that ship. Or if it's a Danish ship because of the accent of the operator, then, oh, it's a Danish guy. Yeah? But you are not supposed to keep a, no, a letter Which says uh, code DR2 is a uh, destroyer Bayern, for example. Yeah, and you're not supposed to have that. Yeah, you only get this code and you say, yeah, you communicate by this code. Right. Uh, were you communicating in English? Yes. Since it's NATO, everything was in English. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I mean, if, if you found an East German in the water trying to escape from East Germany, what, what, would, what would have happened in that scenario? We would have pulled them out. As long as it was in international water or outside of East German? International water, exactly. Because it's, uh, again, one thing, of course, he's escaping or the group or whatever. But again, uh, it's a small vessel, maybe even a raft or whatever. I don't know right now. Whatever it could be. So we have to rescue him, basically. It's a, it's a rescue action. Yeah. There was also one story when we went to the Kiel Week. Uh, and there was a fleet parade because uh, some German admiral was retiring or whatever. So you all had the ship lined up and then saluting the other, the admiral, etc., etc. And I think it was even already in West German waters. And an East German ship joined in the same line. So they're giving a salute to our admiral. Yeah? And then, of course, they get a salute and they're pulled out of the line again. Wow, that's a bit cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Any, anything else happen in the in the Baltic or the um, the North Sea that we can cover? Uh, basically, from the Cold War standpoint, I mean, this is what we did there, and of course, all the military drills and maneuvers and 
one thing was, of course, that again, pointing our guns and missiles and, and uh, target practicing and whatever you have. Huh? Yeah, and how far into the Baltic could you go? Uh, we went, uh, yeah, we went uh, just a little bit behind Bornholm, this island, that, the, the uh, Danish island, which is kind of in the middle of, of, the, of the Baltic Sea. Did international water extend right further into the Baltic or not? Yes, yes. I mean, you could go up all the Baltic between uh, back when it turns north again, uh, uh, right, right all the way up to in between Sweden and the Soviet Union. And did you have much contact with the Swedish Navy? I know they were neutral. Yeah, once in a while there was also the Swedish. When we came too close to the Swedish coast, they were actually engaging us not to come too close. Yeah, they are probably fed up with the Soviets sending sending submarines yeah. <laughs> in. <laughs> Right, who got stranded then on some exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, it was presumably your ship was practicing anti-submarine warfare as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, how how long did you end up serving in in the West German Navy? Two and a half years. And was that the minimum that you had to do? No, because I volunteered. So usually, I believe the. Uh, Military service back then, I, I don't remember, was still 18 months or 15 months. Yeah, so uh, that, if, of course, if you would do it, if you would be drafted. Yeah, but since I volunteered, I volunteered some, for some more time. But there was also a limit uh, because what happens if uh, I uh, used to work and uh, if you're drafted, you, you're not losing your job. Yeah, once you finish your military service, you go back to your old company and continue working. And the same happened for a limited time uh, for voluntary services. So I could still go back after those times to my old job and my old company. When you leave the the Navy, you're still on the Navy Reserve, I think. Yeah, right. Um, wh- what does that mean? They can just call you up at any time? They could call me up. They did it once a few years later, but uh, then I was already in the process of leaving uh, Germany and uh, because I got a job from a German company in Miami, Florida. And it was already all set up, so the company had to move, I don't know what kind of paperwork, et cetera, et cetera, uh, trying to get me out of that, which they did, so I could start my job on time in Miami, for example. But again, uh, you are on this list, and... Uh, uh, Whenever you would travel to the Eastern Bloc, for example, you were supposed to, to send a notice uh, to the authorities telling them, oh, listen, I'm traveling in April to, I don't know, East Germany or to Yugoslavia or whatever. Uh, so they could make travel and say, yeah, you're not supposed to go uh, because of whatever reason. Yeah. But uh, whenever I traveled later to the Eastern Bloc, I never did that. And actually, I never had a problem with that. Uh, we only faced once a kind of a smaller, not a real problem, but which could have been a problem when we were still in the Navy on the Hamburg. And uh, with some comrades, some friends, we were planning on a weekend trip to Copenhagen. And, uh, of course, uh, one of the border controls, uh, one of the inspectors saw that our one of our guys had his military passport. Well, he has his paperwork. He said, you're a soldier, you cannot go. So, because we didn't show our, our military identification cards, of course. Yeah? But he had his open and said, yeah, stop, we cannot go. So we had to convince this uh, inspector to let us travel before we can to Copenhagen. Otherwise, we would have sent us back. I wouldn't have thought Copenhagen would have been uh, a place they'd be particularly worried about you travelling to. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> 
There's further information in the episode notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast without the generous support of our patrons. However, I want to especially thank our Politburo level members who are contributing a generous 30 US dollars a month to keep us on the air. They are Sam Hardwick, Nicholas Butter, Jeffrey Jones, Matthew Comstock, Mark Labance, Frederick Esposito, Darren Hughes, Jim Black, Ryan Vlaming, Stephen Kavalich, and Peter Ryan. Don't forget, if you like one of those Cold War Conversations coasters and help support the show, then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If you can't wait for the next episode, please visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War Conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information